Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, Good morning. My name is Tanner O'Rell. For those who don't know me, and I have the privilege of being the student life minister here at Christ Pacific Church. Uh, And so I get to hang out with all of our junior high and high school students. You may be asking yourself, why is Mr. Uh, Pastor Peter not up here? Why is Mr. Jericho not up here? Where's Mr. Dean? Where's Miss Robin? Where's the entire staff? (laughs) Well, it finally happened, you guys. I fired all of them. Yes. I am the captain now. Yes. Absolutely. No, uh, you guys, as a church policy, as a staff policy, we agreed uh, that if we have any uh, feelings of being unwell, including headaches, coughs, the sniffles, little things. We agreed that uh, for your safety and to respect you guys, that we would stay at home. So a few people were feeling a little under the weather and uh, want me to let you know they did not test positive for COVID. They're healthy. They're okay. Um, Yep. Amen. Um, And the Bovars are out of town. So that's why you're stuck with me today. But I am super honored to be up here. Uh, First off, I'd love to thank you guys, so many of you, uh, as you know, I've been the student life minister for about two years now, which is crazy. Hey, Mr. Ollie. And um, so many of you uh, have been so supportive, whether it's words of encouragement or through prayer um, and just supporting our youth ministry however you can. It's been such a blessing to get to know these kids and get to be a part of this community. And um, not long ago, almost two years ago now, when we hosted our first Thursday night, I was thinking about it this last week, uh, and one kid showed up. <laughs> and I was like, all right, God, <laughs> got a lot of work to do, but you got a plan, totally trust your plan. So praise report, uh, this month on a Thursday night, we had 23 kids come to hear the gospel. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for your patience uh, and your prayers as uh, my team and I uh, have the honor of teaching the gospel to some hungry and excited young students. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Three minutes in, off topic, doing great. Um, One funny story. Uh, I've never heard this. I've worked uh, in youth ministry for like six years now. I've never heard this, but I've heard it a couple times this year. Multiple kids have come up to me after a Thursday night at the dock and said like, hey, how much does this cost to attend? I'm like, what sick world do we live in where you think you have to pay for youth group? <laughs> As well, I'd never heard that before, and I've got that multiple times. I'm like, well, it's $89.99. Uh, you can make those checks out to Tanner O'Rell. Um, no, I get to tell him, just like the grace of Jesus Christ, this is absolutely free, my man, and they're all excited. So, but let's dive in. Uh, have you guys ever been lost? Like, legitimately, like, fearing for your life, you're in the wilderness, lost. Um, it's a uniquely miserable feeling. When I, when I think about the few times that I've been uh, a little uncertain of where I was on a camping trip or hiking trip, um, it's this weird pit in your stomach, and it's so unique to every other experience. And it was funny, when I was thinking about this, I was like, man, being lost is kind of like the stages of grief. Like, step one, it's denial. Like, we're not lost. (laughs) We didn't need to ask for directions. This is just a shortcut, I assure you, right? Complete denial. Step two is anger. 
and you're just blaming everybody around you. Yep, nope, it's your fault we got lost. It's always my brother that we're blaming because, yeah, uh, he, he loves to go off the trail and like just deeper in the world. I'm like, no, thousands of people have walked this trail so we don't have to walk through the bush. Like, so it's always anger towards my brother, right? And then it's bargaining. We're like, oh, Jesus, oh my gosh. Hey, if you get me home safe, like I will give everything I own to the church, I promise, okay? Uh, I'll read my Bible every day. And then it's depression. This is the worst part. Like the whole, the whole group just stops talking and it's just silent and everyone's so sad. And then finally acceptance and you're like, yeah, we're going to die out here. It's terrible, okay? Um, but it's a miserable, terrible feeling to feel lost. Uh, and I had a football coach who was our defensive coordinator and he'd always say a lost player is a useless player. Because uh, when you're playing defense, Depending on how the offense lines up, you have to, if you're in cover two, you're in cover three, you're in man coverage, you have to know where you're supposed to be on the field. Otherwise, you're useless and you can't achieve your purpose uh, for the team. And I think it's really similar uh, to our walk in life. Spiritually, if we are lost, we cannot achieve our God-given purpose for the, for the greater good for the team, right? It's terribly similar. Um, and the world had become so broken and so lost that God would send his only begotten son, right? And the world remains lost and broken that we're still in desperate need of this Messiah that came um, and saved us. So in this season of thankfulness, if pe- as people are asking, uh, what are you thankful for this year? Uh, and it's, it's been a tough year for a lot of people, right? I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do youth group on Zoom <laughs> during 2020. It's not a lot of fun. Okay, um, but there's a lot of things to be thankful for. Uh, but this week, I want us to be thankful that Jesus came and he seeks and he saves the lost. That's what we're going to be focusing on today, is that he seeks and he saves the lost, um, and especially the lost, the people that we would deem unlovable are the people that he has come to seek and to save. So that's what we're going to be focused on in this passage in Luke. And um, just like John had shared This is a story that we've all probably heard in Sunday school. Uh, And because we've grown up with these stories, sometimes they lose a little bit of their magic, do they not? As we get older and we hear over and over, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, Zacchaeus climbed this tree and Jesus called him out of the tree. Uh, Unfortunately, we have grown dull to the gospel at times of how magnificent it is. And to understand the gravity of this situation and the scene that Luke draws for us, we have to dive deeper and look at the cultural context to understand how amazing this is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go verse by verse um, and we're going to break down this scene. So verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. It seems really simple, right? But it paints a pretty interesting picture. Uh, Because what do we know about the Middle East? Um, Something really interesting is that when someone of importance is coming to your hometown, it is crucial to meet them outside of the city, to welcome them in, to parade them in. And uh, I was reading about this gentleman who was living in Egypt during the 60s. And he was in this little tiny rural town in Egypt but the president of Egypt, the late president, was coming to visit this town. And the people were so excited that the whole town went and they marched 10 miles to meet him outside of the city. 10 miles. Okay? Not only did that, but they brought ropes 
And when they reached the president, they had the driver turn off the car, they tied the ropes to the car, and they dragged the car the 10 miles all the way back to the city to parade him in, to show how excited they were. Jesus is the most popular religious figure in this area right now. He is an extremely popular rabbi. And Jericho, being a very Jewish city, would be so thrilled that this Jesus man, this new up-and-coming young rabbi, is coming to their city. So it's likely that they would have met him far outside of town. And they would be parading him in because they're so excited to host him. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He's passing through the city. He's just passing in. Okay, it doesn't say he's staying, which is interesting because we know how hospitable the Middle Eastern culture was. Every single one of these people, these Jewish people, any one of them that owned a home would have been like, Jesus, come stay with me, please. Rabbi, teacher, please. We would be honored to host you. Okay, it's likely that the whole city was putting on a massive banquet to welcome this young, popular, amazing rabbi that everyone was so excited about. And they'd expect him to stay at this banquet and spend the night. But what do we see? It says he's simply passing through. So the people would have been really disappointed that Jesus doesn't uh, decide to stay in the city. A man was there, this is verse 2, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. A chief tax collector. The term tax collector and sinner in this time among the Jewish people was interchangeable. To call someone a sinner was just like calling them a tax collector. Calling them a tax collector was just as bad as calling them a traitor, a liar, a thief. Okay, so we know that Zacchaeus was not very well liked, especially as a chief tax collector who he says, Luke makes a point of saying he was very wealthy. Um, so as you know, probably, that Rome is occupying Jericho. Okay? And so Zacchaeus would have had to pay money to these Roman officials to buy his way into this position so that he has the seat of power to be a tax collector amongst his own people. Okay? And the Roman people would have said, hey, uh, the Roman officials said, you need to go get $5 from everybody. Okay? Everyone owes, you five, owes Rome $5. And Zacchaeus probably said, okay, great. Um, Nick, uh, the R Rome says you owe $10. So Nick would come up, he'd give me his 10 bucks, so I'd go, five to Rome, five to me. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus is very, very wealthy because he's literally robbing and taking advantage of his own people for Rome, for his own gain. He would have been a vile, traitorous person in this community. Next verse, he wanted to see who Jesus was, because he would, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. I don't care how short you are. If you are rich and you are wealthy in any culture, you should be able to walk into any crowd of peasants and just, excuse me, I would like to see Jesus. If you're of wealth and power, especially in this culture, people will move aside. But because he was so hated as a chief tax collector, he knew he couldn't walk into that crowd and demand them to move. He knew if he approached that crowd, he would be ridiculed, he'd be mocked, he'd be shamed. And maybe things could get physical. Who knows, right? Because he would have been just despised by the Jewish people. So what does he do instead? He ran ahead and climbed 
In this culture, you've heard Peter talk about this a couple times. If you are a land-owning male adult, you do not run. You send your servant, you send your kid to go run errands for you, but you never run. It is considered very shameful to run in their culture. Okay, the only thing specifically worse than running for some reason that was more shameful was actually to climb a tree. And so it's funny that he does both of these things. He's climbing a tree, which again would just be like, what in the world is this guy doing? That was very shameful. Okay, but he's doing just a shameless pursuit of Jesus. Shameless pursuit. He just wants to see him. And so Jesus comes along in this slime ball of a guy, Zacchaeus is in the tree. Jesus reached the spot. He looked up to him and said to him, you know, if I was Jesus, praise the Lord, I'm not, right? I'd be looking around. I'm like, this is an easy win. Oh, I need to back up for a second. Oh my gosh. Let me back up. Uh, Luke makes a specific point to say he climbed a sycamore tree. What a weird thing to point out as an author of the gospel. Why a sycamore tree? That's so interesting. Why not just a tree? Okay, but what we know about the sycamore tree is that the branches grow really low and they, sp- and they grow really wide and really long. And they can almost be destructive because they're so, the branches are so low and they can take up so much space. And so legally, back in this day, by law, a sycamore tree had to be planted 25 cubits outside of the city wall so that it didn't destroy anyone's home as it grew. 25 cubits in Western measurements would be about 37 feet, so almost 40 feet outside of the wall. And it's interesting that he points this out because as a kid, you know, when we all heard this in Sunday school, I think I always pictured like the trees just in a courtyard in the, major, in the middle of the city and Zacchaeus is in there. It's interesting because he knows Jesus is passing through the city. He's on the outskirts. He's hoping that this hostile crowd, this crowd that would be hostile towards Zacchaeus, he's hoping that it would thin out by the time Jesus exits the city. So he's hiding in this tree, these bushy branches, and these low branches. He's short, so the sycamore tree, that's how he got into it, right? The low branches, okay? And Jesus comes and he finds him and he sees him and the crowd's still there to Zacchaeus' dismay. And Zacchaeus probably assumes that Jesus is going to do what we all expect him to do. This, again, this is an easy win for Jesus. He's surrounded by Jewish people that hate this man. All Jesus has to do is go, Zacchaeus, you have plagued this land for way too long. You're a traitor to your own people. You vixen. You viper. Go to the temple right now and repent. You guys, the crowd would have lost it. They would have loved it. They would have been chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Rabbi, because they hate this guy. That's what we would expect Jesus to do. That's probably what Zacchaeus expected him to do. That's what the people wanted him to do. But that is not what he does, is it? He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, this vile, traitorous, unlovable person. And he says, I want to step into your life. I want to come to your house. Despite how messy it is, how unclean it is, he calls him by name and says, I want to come and stay at your house. This is a different type of love. This is a costly love. 
And Jesus is the only one that seems to have mastered costly love. We know normal love, right? An example of normal love. Last week, Peter talked about uh, the burden of carrying other people's loads. And he used the example of backpacking. So I thought I would do the same in high school. My senior year, we went on a backpacking trip into the Grand Canyon. Um, it's a thousand degrees. It's miserable. And uh, myself and another leader, there's about 80 people behind us. We decided we're going to set the pace. We're going to get ahead of everybody. Uh, we're going to go make sure the spots are available. So like seven miles in to this first spot, we're going to stay the first night. And we hike in and Anybody who's on, been on a backpacking trip, the first thing you want to do when you get to camp is just get that backpack off, right? It's just a miserable feeling. And so get the backpack off, and I just want to lay down. I just want to drink water. I just want to drink a, eat a power bar. But, then I, but I know in the back of my mind that there's a very, 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 very cute girl not far down the trail. And so I'm like, man, to look really tough, instead of laying down, getting water, I'm going to run back down the trail and go find this young lady. And so I do that. I run, pretending I'm not dying. And I reach her, and I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, can I carry your backpack for you? I'm not tired at all. And she's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we're almost there. And so uh, take her pack, walk back. And it was great. Like, that was so easy for me to do. Right? That's, that's a really easy love because I was getting something out of that, right? You know, eventually this girl would marry me. So that's a win, right? So for all my unmarried people out there, if you're on a backpacking trip, carry their backpack, they will marry you. They're legally obligated to marry you. Okay? Um, so we get back to camp, and now, oh my gosh, I'm just exhausted, drenched in sweat. I've got blisters. My, my shoulders are killing me, and I drop the backpack, and I, and I lay down, and I'm just pounding water. Uh, and our very own worship pastor, Mr. David Ray, hiding over there, looks at me, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, there's still so many people that need help. I was like, oh, well, I got here first. I'm really tired. Because um, right? that was really easy to carry Chloe's backpack for her, right? It's easy to love the people that love us. But to go back and carry a pack for someone I didn't even know, that sounded ridiculous. But so I did it anyways, and it was so much harder by the like third or fourth person that I helped like my feet are literally bleeding from blisters and my shoulders are on fire and, I, and it was miserable. But this is a different kind of love, right? That's costly love. The first one is an example of just classic love. I'm getting something in return. It's so easy to love the people that love us. But the people that we don't even know to carry their pack for them. This is the type of love that Jesus was showing. It's a costly love because this hostile crowd, okay? Jesus deliberately shifts the town's hostility away from Zacchaeus onto himself, because all of a sudden, what does the crowd do? All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. All of a sudden, the crowd shifts, and now they're mad at Jesus. But Jesus, we offered our home to you. We're good Jewish law-abiding citizens. We've offered our home to you, but you claim you're going to pass through, and then at the outside of the city, you're going to go stay with this guy? This vile, traitorous person. But Jesus purposely shifts all of that malice onto himself. All of the, the hate and slander and disgust that Zacchaeus deserved, that he had earned, Jesus brought unto himself. Does that sound familiar? Because just as we have a rap sheet and done terrible, awful things, and we are worthy of punishment 
and damnation, Jesus stepped in front and he deliberately took the hostility onto himself on the cross and practiced a costly love to love the unlovable. And we've heard this a thousand times, right? Love your enemy. Love the people that you don't get along with. And we're like, how can we actually do that? Because frankly, it seems impossible. Just turn on the news. Anybody else just get fired up every time they turn on the news? Like, those people are terrible. How could I love those people? Those people are so undeserving of love. But when Jesus is questioned, and they say, the Pharisees ask him, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? What's the most important law? He answers, one of the few times he answers so directly, he says, love God, and love people. And it's not a coincidence that he says, love God and love people in that order. Because it is impossible to love our enemy, the person that we don't understand, the person that we don't know, the person that's hurt us, without first being in a relationship pursuing and loving God. Kenneth Bailey wrote, uh, he's a very gifted theologian and historical expert. He wrote, experience dictates that it is very hard to love the unlovely neighbor until the disciple's heart is filled with the love of God, which provides the energy and motivation necessary for the arduous task of loving the neighbor. The Holy Spirit is what fills us with the compassion and a softer heart and the motivation and the energy to actually be willing to love the people that we would deem unlovable in a form of costly love. Because where we say unlovable, traitor, unforgivable, unworthy, Jesus simply says lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, I'm going to invite the band up as a, with our closing point here. And um, a couple months ago, I had asked the youth group, uh, I was teaching on something similar, and the theme of lost had come up once again. And I, and I asked the kids, I said, has anybody ever been really, really lost? Really, really scared? <laughs> and actually, again, sorry, I'm picking on you again, David. Uh, our very own David Ray, one of our leaders, was like, yeah, there was a time that I was lost. And I want to share that story because it's such a beautiful picture of Jesus and his love for us. When Jesus, uh, Jesus, no, when David, <laughs> when David was only two years old, him and his family went to the Westminster Mall during Christmas time, right? So as you can imagine, it's packed. There's thousands of people and a classic mix-up. David's mom thought grandpa had David. Grandpa thought David's mom had David. All of a sudden, they're looking at each other, and David's not there. We still lose David at the mall sometimes. Okay. But all of a sudden, David's not there. And David's mom, as any good mom would do, went to the second level of the mall, hung over the balcony, and screamed, I've lost my son. Just screamed. I've lost my son. I've lost my boy. David, David, where are you? screaming shamelessly because every parent's worst nightmare is to lose their child. God was so desperate to not let us be separated from him that he sent Jesus to save and seek the lost. And maybe someone right now at home or sitting out here today feels a little lost. They feel like Zacchaeus. They came here today to climb the tree to just maybe get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And I've got good news. He's calling you by name. 
You don't have to go home and clean up your house before you invite Jesus into your life. He wants in now, the mess and all. Because there is no one unworthy or unlovable to Jesus. There is simply the lost. And we're going to celebrate that together uh, with the, the help of our worship team. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpc.org.